think about Advent today. And it's been lovely having our candle done. Okay, a bit of fun. See if I can do this one-handed. Probably not. That would be great. <laughs> this down would be better. Great. Thank you. Take the place out. Okay. We have our crib. Okay. This was stolen from Erin this morning. She was like, "You're not throwing it away, are you?" <laughs> like, it's okay. It's okay. Well, eventually I will, but not yet. So. Before we come to this, I want you to think about, can you remember the first date you ever went on? I think. And then I want you to think about, can you remember what you did to get ready for that date? Now, for me, my first proper date, I must have been about 14, maybe 15. I'm probably a little bit older, but you know, trying to sound cool. Um, and uh, I went for a hot chocolate with a girl at a little coffee shop in our town uh, back in Wales. And obviously, when you're getting ready for a first date, the most important thing is to think about what you're going to wear. Now, obviously, I was 14 or 15, so for me, I was like, I've got to wear my coolest clothes. Uh, and so I had my baggy skater jeans. I had the chain. looked great. And I had a long sleeve T-shirt, which had the word sorted written across it. Oh, I was cool. Okay, and then obviously, after you've done the clothes, next thing you've got to work out, well, what's the next thing you sort out? Makeup, yeah, I mean, yeah fair enough. I, I, I didn't have as much back in those days, but, you know, need a little bit more now. Um, anything else? Links Africa. Now, that would have been wise for me to <laughs> I was not that smart. The next thing for me was the hair, okay? Now, the hair wasn't much longer, but it was a little bit longer. And my technique for my hair was essentially getting as much gel as I could fit in both hands, rubbing it in, and then I had this. This was the technique. I'm going to show you. See if I get the, the fringe as high as it could be. And uh, it's, none of it mattered. The second I stepped out of the house, I've got such thick hair that it just becomes like a little afro, just frilled up like that. Um, but it was exciting. It was those moments where you're getting ready for something. And the really thing that made it so exciting was knowing at the same time on the other side of town that there was a girl getting ready, getting her clothes ready, getting her dress, hair ready, getting her makeup ready. All these things that makes it really, really exciting to think about. And all you're doing, both of you are building up to this encounter. You're getting ready. You're getting excited. You're feeling the anticipation. And it's such a great moment. And this Sunday, as we said, marks the first Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent is a time of excitement. It's a time of anticipation. But most of all, it's a time of preparation. In Christmas, we remember the moment in human history where God interrupted the universe, where he came to earth to restore us to himself. But what we do in Advent is we acknowledge that all of human history is like the drum roll. It is the pre-game warm-up to the moment that God and man are drawn back together in that Christmas 2,000 years ago. So what I want to do to this is I want us to go back to the beginning, and I mean the real beginning. Let's go back to before the beginning, before there were any heavens or earth, that there was God. He existed as one God in three persons. We should have a slide coming up. You guys, I'll let you guys try and keep up with me. That's the best way, okay? So one God in three persons, one essence, but experience and acting in three different ways. And because God is one, he exists in complete unity. So there's complete peace and agreement in God. But because God is three persons, he exists in perfect, loving, supportive community. And in this great community, there exists so much love that it begins to bubble up. 
that it begins to overflow. And just like a couple who feel the desire to expand, they have so much love, they decide to create a child to express their love beyond the limitations of their relationship. God does the same. Except that God has so much love, he decides not to create just one child, but an entire human race. I looked it up. They think that over the period, the history that we have recorded, there's over 100 billion people will have existed at some point. But obviously, you can't just have children living in a void. So 13.1 billion years ago, God creates the heavens. Out of nothing, he creates the building blocks for everything that has existed, does exist, and will exist. And he scrumples them all up together, clicks his fingers, and in an instant, they are hurled out the Big Bang. As, as they are hurled out, the universe expands, and in the midst of it, gases begin to form. Gases gather together and create nebula. Nebula, in the midst of those nebula, you have stars forming. One of these stars becomes so massive, so big, that it eventually absorbs all of the gases in the local vicinity, and it becomes and implodes and becomes a supermassive black hole. I love all this stuff. This is since having kids, you get so excited about physics stuff. Okay. You know, the supermassive black hole around the incredible gravitational pull of this supermassive black hole called Sagittarius A. Okay, that's the one we, I found out the other day. Okay, is you have a galaxy form. Stars begin to get, travel around it. And then well, in one, one of those stars on the edge of this galaxy called the Milky Way is called the sun. Average sized star. And around this sun, it's a handful of planets. And one of these planets is a planet of, sort of molten iron and lava and, and rock. And eventually, over time... Water begins to form on this planet. The water spread out, then, and then the waters gather together. Land begins to form on the planet. You have vegetation begins to grow. You have, I'll go, go back one. Um, vegetation begins to grow, and you have animals start together. Fish, birds, and into this incredible world that God has created, he forms humans to be the recipients and subjects of his incredible divine love. And the Bible says that, these, that God's relationship with these humans was that he walked with them in the cool of the evening. He loved them so much that he made this entire world, this entire universe, this entire history of a universe so that he could be with them. God is like the boy in the story standing outside the girl's house with, his, with a limo, playing guitar, releasing a hundred white doves and offering the biggest bouquet of roses you can possibly imagine. And that's the starting point of our story. That's the starting point of all of our stories. But you probably know how the story goes. Humanity chooses to reject God. Humanity slams the door in God's face. And we do this when we treat God negatively. We do it when we treat each other negatively. It's when we treat God's planet negatively. All these things are us turning away from God and looking at that gift and saying, no thanks. And there's this great big tragedy right at the start of the Bible, right at the start of human history. Because it is that God loves us so much, he gives us this whole world to, be, to rule over and to look after. And humanity chooses to go its own way and reject God. And so it's safe to say that date one between humanity and God did not go well. And humanity being the story goes how humanity moves further and further away. But the story of the Bible is that God continues to pursue. And having given us the heavens and the earth, again he starts to prepare a gift even more beautiful. You see, every night God comes playing guitar outside humanity's window, getting ready for the next day. 
getting ready for the time where humanity will encounter God again. Okay, so let's come to my wonderful prop. Uh, who can help me? Petra, can I have? It's very easy, don't worry. You can come and help me. So I've got some string, and I want us to use this to visualize how everything in the biblical story, come on up, come on, come on. Everything in the biblical story um, guides us towards the birth of Christ. So, first of all, can you take this up to Mary in the back? Okay, unroll it and give that to Mary at the back. That's all you've got to do, and then you can go sit down. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Mary right in the corner there. Okay, and Mary can hold it. I think there should be enough. I'm not 100% sure. If not, you can give it to someone a bit closer. <laughs> See how far it reaches. Okay, so while Petra is doing that for me and unraveling it, because I'm clearly not clever enough to unravel it before, that's great. Um, I want us to go back to the Garden of Eden. Back to that first moment where humanity slams the door in God's face. And, and what I want to say is, as, as, as the humanity step outside of Eden, God speaks hope to them. He says that one day a child of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And God points forward to a day when the works of evil... That's fine, you'll be okay. <laughs> so, um, the way humanity... Where God is pointing forward to a day when the works of evil will be destroyed where mankind will no longer be ruled by the desire to do wrong, to hurt each other, to hurt God, to hurt this planet. Instead, one day someone will come who will do right everything that Adam and Eve did wrong. Okay. Uh, Abby, you can come up again. Okay, we're going to skip on a bit, and now the world is filled with different tribes. Okay, you can do it someone at the back. Someone find someone at the back, hand that to them, if it stretches far enough. Okay. The world is now filled with different tribes, different nations. They have spread out across the globe. And from out of one of these tribes, a place called Ur of the Chaldees, God draws a family. And he starts something new. God summons Abraham out of um, this place, Ur of the Chaldees, and he makes an agreement with him. We call it a covenant. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And it is, um, he says, if you keep my commandments, I will bless you. And through you, the whole world will be blessed. So I will bless you, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. And it is an amazing thing for God to say to a person. And although it is rich in hope and joy, there is a fear that we will not be able to live up to our side of the bargain, our side of the deal, that we will not be able to keep the commandments of God. And so humanity, when they hear this, longs for someone who will keep the commandments and to spread God's blessing to the whole world. Next one. You can probably skip on to the next slide. That'd be great as well. Um, Katie, you're up. Esther, you know you're next as well. So just, <laughs> just, just getting you ready there. Okay. Uh, you can find someone at the back there. You can switch out to the sound desk. Feel free. Um, okay. We're going a bit. Oh, we're going to. Where are we up to? Okay. All right. We've done. We've got Adam and Eve. We've got Abraham. Let's go on now. Skip on ahead to the 10th. Oh, we, we, Abraham's descendants become a mighty nation, but they find themselves after many years living in Egypt, living as slaves, but God is still pursuing them. He brings them out of Egypt, and he sets them on a course to a promised land, but he doesn't want things to go wrong again, so he puts it in writing this time. He gives Moses, the leader of the people, a set of rules about how they should live and act so that they can stay in God's presence. The rules are there designed to be able to make, make it so they keep together with God. He establishes sacrifices and priests to help the people stay close to him. 
But very quickly, the people realized that it wasn't just Egypt they were slaves to. It was the disobedience itself. It was their brokenness. And even as they start to gain a country for themselves, um, they begin to drift away from God, and they realize that they need a priest who won't just enforce the law, but will fulfill it so that they can be in relationship with God. Through Moses and through the law, God points humanity ahead to the perfect priest that would someday come and fulfill the law on man's behalf. Esther, you're up. Okay, we're going a little bit quicker now. That's tiny up there, but it gives you some sense of where we're going with all this. Okay, you can choose who you want to give that to. Find somewhere. I reckon you can get it pretty far over there. Okay, we're going a bit quicker, and we find ourselves... Um, in the 10th century BC. Now, God has given his people a land of their own, but their hearts are still far from him. So he doesn't just give them a set of rules now. He gives them a leader. And over the nation, they have a brave and powerful king, a worshiper of God. They have King David, this hero in the Bible. But for all his great acts, we also find out that David could be corrupt. He could be rash. He could be guided by lust and political gain. When he was faithful, the people prospered. But when he was unfaithful, the people suffered. And the desire in the hearts of the people was for a perfect king, one who would lead them perfectly to be not just the blessed people of God, but a blessing for the whole world. Through King David, God pointed humanity ahead to a perfect king that would lead them back to him. Okay, got another one. Uh, mum, you're up. This is my mum. <laughs> there you go. You can see how far you can get it. Anywhere. We'll be fine. We'll spread it out. Just try not to strip over. It'll be great. I realize we're in a severe fire hazard right now. It's okay. I hope you'll be okay. I've got scissors just in case. Okay, we're going a bit quicker. We find ourselves in the 8th century BC. Now with the prophet Isaiah. And all the hope of reconciliation between God and man, that love would, can be rekindled, that this relationship would be restored, it seems to be utterly lost. The people have all turned away in thought and in deed. But then Isaiah hears a voice, and he hears the voice of God, and it promises the people that a child would be born, one who would reign with justice and righteousness on the throne of David, that from out of the darkness there would come a light. Through Isaiah, we see that God is going to send a perfect prophet, one who will teach the people to recognize the voice of God. So just seeing, we've got one more to go, but before that, I just want to go. So we've got, we've got Abraham, we've got Adam and Eve, and the desire that someday humanity, that somebody will come who will do right what, what Adam and Eve did wrong. We have Abraham, we have someone who will keep the commandments to spread God's blessing to the whole world. We're looking forward to um, a perfect priest who will fulfill the law and make it possible for man to be in relationship with God. We've got, we're looking forward to a perfect king who will point humanity, um, who will lead humanity back to God. And we're looking forward to a perfect prophet, one who will teach the people to recognize the voice of God. I'll hold on to this one for a moment. We'll come to that. Because we're in the first century BC now, where a priest is working in the temple keeping himself busy to distract himself from the pain going on at home where his wife mourns their inability to have children. He's working hard to distract from the political issues, his country subjugated and controlled by the Romans. Still, amid the pain and the disappointment, the Bible tells us that Zechariah continues to worship. He continues to live righteously in the sight 
of God. He continues to pray, asking God for the secret desire of his heart, child. And into our world, into Zechariah's world, God sends an angel, a messenger. And the messenger says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before their children and the disobedient, um, go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I just want to focus on that last line, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Such a powerful thing. When you read the different Gospels, you can almost hear the writers having an argument about where does this story start. The book of Mark starts with John the Baptist's ministry. Uh, the, book of Matthew, uh, the book of Luke, which is the one we're looking at today, starts with John the Baptist's birth. The book of Matthew starts with the entire genealogy of Jesus going back to Abraham. And the book of John starts with in the beginning. And he goes back even before um, the creation of the world. What every writer wants us to get is that the gospel story, the story of the incarnation, is a story that starts before the birth of Jesus. It has been spoken of, hinted at, predicted, and prophesied for as long as there has been time. And the reason I wanted to kind of go through all of those and then come and focus on the work of John the Baptist is because John reveals to us everything that God has been doing to prepare for the moment of Jesus' birth. Everything that God has been doing, none of it has been about getting God ready. Everything God has done over millennia is about preparing us to meet him. John's entire ministry is summed up in that line, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, God has not stopped standing at the door and knocking. God has not stopped playing guitar outside your window. God is desperate to be with you. God loves you. I was writing this talk and thinking about the ways that we can, when I think about Advent and the idea of preparation, I was thinking, what are the things that we do to prepare ourselves spiritually to meet with God? You know, as we come to Christmas, what do we need to think about but every time I looked at it, all I kept realizing was that Advent is the moment where we remember the work that God has done in preparing us. When God brings all these strands together and in so doing brings us and all of humanity to the stable door in Bethlehem. Show this last one out. You can hold that one for me. That'd be great. Thank you very much. God, because over the next few weeks, We'll hear how God drew a pregnant young girl and her husband, scared and confused, to that same stable door. How he drew in unlikely shepherds from the field. How he sent angels. How he guided kings from far off countries. How they followed a sign in the sky that when you think about it, if it's whatever that sign in the sky must have been set off hundreds of thousands of years to come across the sky in that exact moment for them to follow. How he guides everyone to that stable door. How he guides all of us, all of humanity to that stable door. 2,000 years ago to meet him. And when we'll finally hear how God himself joins us in the dark, in a stable, entering into the world to be with people like you and with people like me. But even then, God's work of preparation will not be finished because like Zechariah in the temple, humanity is waiting, is longing, is desperate for a perfect king, a perfect priest, a perfect prophet, a savior 
who will come and rescue them, who will heal them, who will love them. But even as God knocks frantically on the door, we find that we're too broken, that we're too cynical, we're too disillusioned to get up and answer it. We're curved in on ourselves, and even as we see our own brokenness, we've gone deaf to his knocking. And the beauty of the incarnation, the wonder of Christmas, is that God gets tired of knocking and instead kicks down the door and comes to find us. And finding us curved in on ourselves, finding humanity in this state of brokenness, God continues his work of preparation. And God in Christ lives this perfect life, an example for all of us. He then goes to the cross, and on the cross, Christ unites himself with us, takes on our sin, dies and receives the punishment in in his unity with us, the punishment for sins. And then the story doesn't even end there because Christ rises again, destroys the power of evil in us, just like God had promised at the start. Through this, we rise with him. And we get to be made pure and holy and ready to live in relationship with God. He cleans us up. He brushes us off. He nurses us back to health. And then, having entered the world and done everything he can to prepare us, he stands again at the door and knocks. When the God who hurls the stars into the sky comes crashing into the world, there is nothing we can do to prepare ourselves. Christmas is this cataclysmic explosion of life and power shaking the very foundations of the universe. We don't have a set of clothes that we can put on to make ourselves ready for it. We can't do our hair well enough to prepare ourselves to meet the Lord. But this, in his profound, overwhelming love, God has done all the work on both sides to prepare for this. He dresses us. He prepares us. He gets us ready. And all you and I can do is respond. Open the door. Listen to the song he sings for you. Hear the words of love and care that he speaks over you. This is what Christmas is about. It is about being overwhelmed by the love of God, embracing that relationship, and living every day in response to it. Just thinking, how do, we, how do we take this? How do we respond to this? It's like God has given us everything. Beyond even the whole universe, he gives himself to us. And there's such a beauty to that. And it's thinking, what is our response? How do we take that? I think the first thing is always worship. We're going to have some time we continue worshiping to praise God, to lift him up, to respond to that joy. It's how do we put him at the center of our lives, not swimming off to the side and thinking, what else is better than God for me? It's saying, actually, I want God to be the center, better than work, better even than family, better than money, better than comfort. I want God right at the center. It's like when you fall in love and you, this person becomes the center of your world. You start, every thought is about them. Everything is built around them. Like that changes things. You start to reposition your life. You start to think of your future. What's it going to be like now with this person? And that is what God offers us. He's doing that for us. He's looking, he's on the other side of town preparing, thinking, I want to be with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to just see a future together with you. And so when we come now and worship, that is us saying the same to God, saying, I want to respond to that. That'd be great. If we could stand, the band would have to come back up. That'd be brilliant. Find your way through the maze. Okay, now I'll start pulling those in. That'd be great. <laughs> See how quickly I can draw these in in one go without hurting. Getting any rope burn. Oh, that's, some of it's coming. There we go. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, pull those in in a bit. I'm just going to pray for us. That'd be great if you could stand. I think we could. 
to sing and to respond to the goodness of God. Father God, thank you so much that for all eternity, throughout all of history,